Hey everybody, welcome to New World Pictures Podcast. Bonus episode, interview style. My name's Ryan, with me as always is Mark. Interview stylings. And Erica. I'm going to have my interview animal style. <laughs> and we have got an interview for you. We've got a great interview for you, this time with Mitchell Gallen. And he's a producer. He's produced a bunch of things, including the current Cre- uh, Creepshow series, but also Creepshow 2 for New World Pictures. But also, he has produced tons of stuff with Stephen King as well, including um, Thinner, um, and also Pet Cemetery and uh, The Dinner Stand. And Thinner. And Thinner, Mark. Mm-hmm. Mark also Pet Cemetery. Mark is a big fan of Thinner, thinner so... Yeah. Uh, so Which, that was exciting for him to talk about that. And so you could have spent an hour just talking with him. About he could have. You, yeah. you could have. Um, so, and, and one thing that I learned about this episode, more importantly, this interview, I learned that when I grow up, I want to be Mitchell Galland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, he really has it figured out. Uh, he is an incredibly great dude. Also really want to thank, uh, we have a follower, um, John, who's the one who set us up with Mitchell uh, for this interview. So thank you, John, for connecting the dots for us. We really appreciate that. Um, but when we talked to Mitchell, I just in the course of the, the, the interview, I was like, I want to be Mitchell when I grow up. I want to be this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, he- I, I want to live in Hawaii. I, yeah. I, I, I want to have a, a significant other that is a... Uh, a, a highly regarded chef who owns a restaurant who allows me to uh, taste and and sample all the new liqueurs coming into the bar. <laughs> I, I want to be that person. I feel like, how do I produce my way right. into that life? The dog, the successful career. I know. The gorgeous locks. Worked on thinner. Yeah. I want to go back worked to Worked on that. thinner. <laughs> He's a total package. Uh, if you if you wanted to ask a, a question about thinner, this was your opportunity. <laughs> I I mean I, I did get to ask. And a you question. did. Yes, yes. I never thought that that day would come. No, <laughs> it's not often that you are like, can I have a question? I have questions about thinner. Will I be able to ask someone? And you did. Yeah. Would you be able to call someone who's living in Kauai and ask them about thinner? <laughs> We it happened. Any, it happened. It happened. I it mean, happened. Ryan's sitting in a little kid's rocking chair. That's Amazing right. things That's are right. happening right and you left. You know what? Incredible. Dreams do come true, guys. <laughs> uh, we had an incredible chat with Mitchell, and you're really going to enjoy this. We talk about his early days in a, in a band. We'll start out with him talking in a, where he was in a band, uh, through how he got into production, how he started out his career, Creep Show 2, Thinner, Stephen King, We've got it's just a great interview. Mitchell is an incredible guy. We were so so happy that we got to uh, talk with him about his career and Creep Show Two and the current series Creep Show. So here's our chat with Mitchell Gallen. Enjoy. How did you get started um, in the business? How did you start out? Um, as a musician for a while, and I got to the point where it was like, you know, do I really want to spend my life on the road and the group I was in, we were like, we're decent, but we're decent. So it would have required <laughs> an amazing amount of luck mm-hmm. to really make a living, living out of it. And, you know, I mean, when you're young, being on the road is kind of cool. And then you just look down the road and say, or you just look, say, in your future and say, is this the type of life I want? And I made the determination that I really didn't want to be a guy that was on the road most of his life. 
And so I chose a profession that put me on the road much longer than if I was a musician. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I spent a couple of years where I only came home on weekends, wherever I was, oh you know, in the, I was in the States. I mean, it just. Um, yeah. Well, what well, kind of band was it? Uh, we sort of, um, I guess you would call us folk fusion jazz. I don't know. You know, we did our own stuff. You know, we always open up the second set with a jam and, you know, someone would lay down a rhythm and we'd work off of that. And sometimes it was really good. And sometimes it was really heinous. I'm really, I'm really glad <laughs> there's not a lot of recordings of that stuff. Because I'm like, God, we suck. But, you know, we, we, we had a, sort of a following. We played it, you know, a couple of decent places. And, you know, I think 20 years later, I was skiing in Colorado. And somehow I got in a conversation with this young kid and he goes, uh, so have you ever been to Colorado before? Yeah, I used to live here, you know, what'd you do? Oh, I played in a rock band, blah, 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 blah. Oh, what was the name? I told him, he goes, oh my God, my father knows of you. I go, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what, and that's not what happens with my career. I think my father or grandfather used to work with you. Do you remember? <laughs> so, so when you quit the band or you decide to leave the band, what, what do you do right after that? Um... I worked in a music club in Washington. I went back, I went to school in DC. I went back to DC for a while. I worked into a music club called the Cellar Door, which was pretty well known at the time. Um, that was where the Cellar Door Productions ultimately came out of. Um, I did that. And then I got a job in a real, like a real job. And I realized that real jobs in me don't really jive. It's like, I like playing in the sandbox and so that didn't really work. Um, so I, I basically walked up and down the streets of New York City, trying to get a job with a, with a talent agency, figuring I'd get a view of the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of knew I wanted to be in the film business, TV business, but I wasn't sure what that meant. So I figured that if I got into a job in the, uh, you know, um, in a talent agency, I'd get like an overall view of it, you know, and they also did theater. And I, I grew up I grew up in New York. My grandfather used to take us to the theater all the time. So um, I walked into one place and it was a, a casting agency that was in, mistakenly listed. I mean, I basically went into the yellow pages and I ripped out all the pages of the talent agency and went from 43rd Street from 8th Avenue to 6th Avenue up and down till 57th. And I went into a casting agency and I asked if I could meet someone, you know, and, uh, you know, look for a job in a, in a, in a talent agency. And, and a guy was at the desk said, this is a casting agency. But I just came from my office and we're a talent agency and someone just left. So why don't you go there right now and tell them I sent you? And that's how I got my first job in the business. Wow. Wow. What was that first job? It was for Fifi Osgard. Uh, agency in New York. I'm, you know, I had some business experience. So I did, I worked in the business department. Um, and then, you know, I, I wound up making some connections. Uh, I wanted to move into the theater division. They didn't really have a space for me. And then I decided, you know what, it's time for me to sort of like get out there and, and, uh, try to see if I could get a job in the TV feature world of which at that time, New York didn't have a very mm -hmm. vibrant one. And, uh, I did the same thing. I met with anyone that would like meet with me. And I met this guy that I really liked a lot. And I thought, you know, 
I thought, you know, it was really interesting. I know he's interested in me and I'm going like, yeah, but that's not what I want to do. Cause I don't want to do video. <laughs> I, was like, I was so arrogant. <laughs> by the time I got back to my office, his sister called me and she was the um, assistant to a producer of a TV series and said, my brother just told me that you're really terrific. I called him to see if he could recommend anyone. We need someone up here. Can you come up to, you know, our offices? I said, sure. So um, I went up to the office and, and it was a, a TV series called Nurse with Michael Leonard, who was probably the biggest female star on television at the time. It was the only television production in New York. Little did I know. Um, <laughs> and uh, basically she told me afterwards, as long as I didn't pee on him, I was going to get the job. <laughs> she had set it up that like had to hire me, and that wow. was my first job. And and my wow. first job was basically being Michael Leonard's assistant because she had some issues she needed dealt with, and their solution was to get her an assistant. And Michael and I got along great. And the producer kind of took me under his wing, and he sort of like opened up some things for me. And then the guy that who shot was um, at the end of the show was looking for someone, his, his company was beginning to grow and he was looking for someone to be his assistant. And both Michael and the producer recommended me. And the producer said, the line producer said to me, look, you can make more money working for me, but you won't work consistently. But there, it depends on what you want to do. You want to learn to be, you know, work on the line or you want to like be in more of the creative business end of it. Mm -hmm. At that point, I just wanted more of a solid job. And, and I think I wanted some consistency. And so I became his assistant and his company kind of exploded while I was there. And then from there, I wound up doing stuff, you know, going off and producing stuff for him and heading development. And uh, it worked out pretty well. And he was probably, I, I think he's considered the, the largest producer, the, of TV movies and miniseries in the history of TV. So, um, and I was kind of there as he went from four people to many. And, and this, what's what's his name? Robert Halmy. Okay. Um, RHI and uh, it was it was crazy because he just, I mean, I developed a project for him and he made a deal with the Hungarian government. He was Hungarian and we went over there together. He said, this would be good experience for you. And then after three days goes, call me if you need any help. <laughs> what? I don't speak Hungarian. And <laughs> you know, you're handing your passport when you check into the hotel and it's, and he goes, you'll figure it out. If you don't, you call. Wow. And he just left you in, in left just... hungry. Wow. And, wow. And it was, it was like hit, and his thing was like, look, you're either going to drown or you're going to swim. And if you swim, you're more valuable to me. And it was wow. a great experience. And it was kind of like I was, I mean, I wound up running development for him because I, after a year of reading everything in his files, with his permission, by the way, mm -hmm. um, I came to him and said, you know, this script is really, it's a great idea, but this, the execution is really pretty bad. He goes, well, what should I do? He goes, well, just hire someone to have it rewritten. And make it better. And at that point, there was only three buyers for network movies. And if one of them passed on it, the other two had different agendas. I mean, it's like, it's not like you, this was a CBS deal. You cannot go with ABC or, or NBC with a CBS movie. They were just so, it's like going mm. for Hallmark movie to Showtime. It just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but goes, brave oh. if you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's a brave yeah. move. <laughs> and so he said to me, uh, okay, you got $10,000, figure it out. 
So I called an agent that I knew who actually was David Mamet's agent and a guy that was always really very kind and nice to me and, and mentorish, menshi-ish, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, mm-hmm. combination of both. And I said, I got 10 grand. You got a writer? <laughs> I go, <laughs> somebody who's not in the film business, but, you know, it's like a playwright that can make the transition, you know, maybe has written a script or two. So he gave me a couple people and there's one guy that just had great voicings, which is not unusual for a theater writer. Um, that I thought really worked. And, you know, in my great negotiating skills, since I told him how much I was paying, it was kind of like, okay, let's just do the deal. Um, and he rewrote it. And I told him to think of Peter O'Toole for this role. It was, it was called Svengali. And um, he got Peter O'Toole's voicings down. It was like, it was great. And so Bob resubmitted to CBS and they, they go, so who are you thinking of playing the role? And Bob goes, who are we thinking of playing the role? I go, Peter O'Toole. Like, what the fuck do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, these days I'd say, oh, Brad Pitt, of course, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, O'Toole was doing my favorite year that's showing my age. Um, mm. And I was tracking him while he was shooting it and got friendly with someone on the production staff and they gave me his fake name at the hotel. And I called him a three, cause he wasn't returning anyone's calls. He was being Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he wouldn't return his agent's calls. He wouldn't return the president of CBS's calls. So I woke him up at three o'clock in the morning and um, he had a couple of choice words for me, hung up the phone. I walk in the next morning and Bob goes, anything happened last night? I go, well, you know, no one's reaching the guy. So I figured I'd wake his ass up. <laughs> I go, and you could just say this kid doesn't know what he's doing it's the first movie he's ever developed and he's kind of like stupid he goes yeah that's what i told him and i got a meeting with o'toole next week and he did the movie wow nice. wow what, what did it end up being called Which, by the way i could never do again you, you have one shot of doing it, and I it. <laughs> yeah actually if it didn't that's work great. i could have done it again but anyway, i mean <laughs> Bob got a call from his agent in London, his agent in New York, who I wound up becoming friendly with. I mean, it was just like, I had created this whole thing and but Bob got the meeting and in the Amazing. room, Bob could charm anybody. Okay, it so called, it was called Svengali. It, so it wasn't, it, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it now. It, it ended up being called uh, Svengali. I didn't know if it was gonna change, uh, you know, uh, change change titles or whatever. Yeah. And it was that Charles Dennis that you got that, that as the writer? No, no, it was Frank Cucci. Okay, okay. Because I think Charles Dennis wrote uh, a movie or two for New World. Yeah. Um, uh, New World Pictures. I believe he wrote Cover Girl. Yeah. No, Which I, is I, one I of our favorites. That, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. This was Frank's first credit, and then he became like a go-to CBS movie of the week writer. Wow. Hmm. Oh, nice. Wow. So, so from there, you're not, or you're not working for Richard Rubenstein yet, right? So you are, where, where do you go from here? Well, I then, and then Bob, when we got the order, Bob goes, okay, I'll hire a new assistant. You run development for me. And then when he left me in Hungary, he goes, okay, and you also run production for me now. <laughs> <laughs> and like within the, a year of that, we went to a company with like 10 people, you know? And um, I mean, he was really in on a roll and he was like, He's a great salesman. He's an interesting human being, um, you know, and uh, it was fun. It was lunacy at times, but it was, it was mm-hmm. it's like we developed a, a script for Catherine Hepburn and then she decided she didn't want to do it because of her, you know, problem with, you know, her, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if she had Parkinson's, but it was like Parkinson's. Yeah. 
and she didn't want to come out. It took her a while to come, come out and actually act that way. So Bob told him he would get James Cagney to play the role. And I'm going, okay, we wrote this for Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Cagney's going to play Catherine Hepburn's role. So, of course, I had to be the one to tell the writer the good news, bad news. And I said, what do you want first? And by the way, it was the same guy. It was Frank Cucci. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he goes, oh, give me the good news. I go, the movie's ordered. He goes, what's so bad? What could be so bad? What's the bad news? I say, you know the role you wrote for Catherine Hepburn? You got to rewrite it for James Cagney. And so here's the deal. If she represented for women in that era. He represented for men. Don't let's not talk about it. Think about it. Call me in the morning. Wow. And it was great. And that was terrible. Joe Moran that originally was terrible. Tessie. <laughs> no kidding. Huh. Wow. wow. How, long so were you, how long were you in Hungary? Um, in the first movie, I think I was there for two and a half months. Maybe three months. How's your Hungarian now? <laughs> it actually was okay at the time. Okay. Um, because I really made it, like I told my interpreter just to talk to me in Hungarian. Yeah. Um, and at some point in the production about, and, and Hungarian is not an easy language because it's not really associated with anything else other than I think Finnish. Okay. Uh, and uh, in the middle of, and we're shooting on the plains and we had horses. And one of the horses ran away and I yelled in Hungarian, feed the fucking horse and let's get back into production in Hungarian. And everyone like dropped dead, like what happened? <laughs> and partially because I said, the first words I want to know are all the curse words. Cause I want to know who's calling yeah. me a motherfucker. Yeah. You know? yeah. Not that yep. I'll do anything Smart. about it. I just want to know who it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it, it was, I mean, and, and then, Bob heard about because he was talking to the guy in the government, you know, who's the liaison. Um, and he said, do you know Mitchell speaks Hungarian? He goes, what are you talking about? Goes, Everyone's amazed. They're all talking about how he's like learning Hungarian. That is funny. But it's not something I can practice very much. And Sure, uh, right, sure, right. sure. Yeah, I would imagine. 30 some odd years later, I don't know hardly a word. <laughs> There's not a little hungry and unquiet. <laughs> Very little. <laughs> Very little. And then did you and Frank remain close throughout the rest of his career? Did you stay in contact? We worked on about or five or six projects together. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I was with Bob for about another two, three years. And then I moved on. I, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, you're kind of seen as how you come in. So I got to a point where I was like producing movies, but not getting the credit as a producer. Mm -hmm. um, and which is okay. I mean, I get it. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's not like I begrudge them that. I also understood why. And so I just felt, you know, if I'm going to make that next leap, I really have to be someplace else. So I got a job someplace else, which was not a job that I really enjoyed or relished. And then, um, at some point go, this isn't for me. And then I left that job and then met, met Richard um, and started working with Richard. And we worked together for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and what was the first job that you worked with him on? Oh, I came in as the head of development and production. Oh, okay. So I came in as the, uh, I don't know if I came in as the EVP or just the VP of the company. Hmm. And, and so at what point does Tales from the Dark Side come your way? 
So Tales from the Dark Side had already shot its first season. Okay. So when I came in, they're getting ready to shoot season two. And then, um, so I oversaw that. That was the first thing I probably spent most of my time in. So um, I probably developed two thirds of that season, hmm. at least half of the wow. season, maybe two thirds. Um, and then the next year we did two seasons consecutively. And then we also did Creep Show that year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, did you? Yeah. Uh, so was Creepshow working at the same time as Tales? Because I know also Romero also worked with you on an episode of Tales from the Dark Side. So that's that's how oh, you yes. first got how you first met him, I would assume. No, I actually I first met George during the mix of Day of the Dead. Oh, really? oh wow. OK, so uh, they were finishing up Day of the Dead when I came in there um, and I flew out to. Uh, I guess it was Tadio at the time is where they were mixing. And uh, there was this guy who made a movie that I basically saw through my splayed fingers when I was younger, um, <laughs> scared the crap out of me. And there's th this big bear of a guy going, come on, make it splatter more like in and sound like saran, saran wrap crinkling. And I'm going in this gentle voice, I'm going like, that's George Romero scared the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> And he's this, he was this just big, gentle bear. I mean, George was great. And uh, we kind of hit it off pretty well. And, you know, I work with them sporadically, you know, him, him and Richard's um, relationship, you know, devolved at some point. So they were, mm. they're doing a little bit of stuff together, but not much. Okay. Um, and so I work with them on, on a couple of things like that. And, and I actually had dinner with George about, I was up in Toronto working on something. Um, and I had dinner with George and his wife in Toronto about seven, eight months before I passed. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I always stay in touch with him. I really like George a lot. George, is, George was underappreciated artist. Mm -hmm. He was incredibly talented and spawned a whole bunch of stuff that he doesn't get credit for on some yeah. level. And kids coming out of film school are given $60 million to make a movie. And George... They just viewed George as this independent filmmaker who, like anything over ten million, was too much, mm -hmm. which I never quite understood because he was really yeah. a master filmmaker. He, he, yeah, I agree. I agree. He does not get like some of his other works. Like he, he, he just didn't get enough opportunities. I feel like he, he had a lot of chops and he had a lot of craft, and he just kind of the zombie thing just kind of stuck with him. And he, he, it's unfortunate, you know, because he, he had a lot more that he could have done. Yeah, um, we're big although, fans. Big, big fans. Should, although he should not have worked with monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, before they start shooting, I go, like George, do you want me to send you a bunch of bananas? How are you going to deal with monkeys? <laughs> That's how we got it under control. And oh, okay. Like, um, never work with fucking monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> now that I is, thought, he, I thought cats were bad, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so he was working, and when you're doing Tales from the Dark Side, they were already doing Creep Show at the time, the first Creep Show. Yes. First Creep Show was done. Okay. Uh, the, time dark, the whole Dark Side was sold as like Creep Show for TV. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there was there was a guy that was in an advertising agency who sort of pitched that as an idea. You know, George was not a big fan of TV. Um, it's actually why he didn't do, uh, you know, he met King because King wanted him to direct They All Come Back. I think it was All, all Come Back, whatever, which was going from being developed as a Warner feature to 
trying to make it as a miniseries. And George's whole thing is, and, and Steve was a big fan of George's work. And they asked Steve who he thought would be good. And he said, Romero. And so they met and they, they hung out for about a month or so. Um, and George just didn't want to do television. He just said, it can't accommodate. I don't think he said it can't accommodate my <laughs> warped mind, but that's kind of what he said. You know, it yeah. didn't, didn't have the freedom. And, you know, I need a pass on it. But Steve then said to him, is there anything that I've written that you're interested in? And he said, the stand. And that's how Richard and George became involved in the stand. Okay. That and took 11 years to make. Right. You know? I was about to say, yeah. what you guys eventually made, though, without, without Romero. Um, so, so, so is that where you, it, so around this time, is that when you met Stephen at Stephen King? Or was it? when you started working on creep show too um you know i think i met steve uh when he came to new york to meet with richard about something or other okay uh, and you know we basically spent an evening hanging out together <laughs> and then we actually i don't know if it's around that it might have been a little bit later but we actually spent a sunday afternoon in new york screening um Portrait of Henry the Serial Killer. Wow. <laughs> Another equally wonderfully disturbed movie. That's a nice <laughs> Sunday matinee. Yeah. Steve, Richard, and I, you know, in our in one of our offices with a big TV, just having a blast. Um, and then basically I worked with Steve creatively on the scripts and stuff like that of the stuff we did. So we had a pretty good relation that way in fact i have another king project i'm working on now so oh I'm wow going to production at some point in the before i die <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's a good way to look at it um uh, you so, never know i mean if it takes 11 years eh, i don't know i want to be making a movie in 11 years from now yeah <laughs> so you start working on, on creep show too now that was the first creep show was put out by warner brothers right were they at all interested in making Creepshow 2 or were they ever involved in the development of a sequel? Um, I think they had an option on the script. I think that they did not want, I mean, Salah Hassanine and, and UFD, um, which was a pretty large theater chain at the time, were behind Day of the Dead, Creepshow 2, Creepshow, and um, I think... Uh, Ed Harris on the motorcycle. Night Riders. Night Riders. Riders. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Sala basically they financed those three movies. Um, Sala obviously had a very tight relationship with with Warner Brothers. They decided to be distributed domestically. I don't think they distributed overseas. I think they had an option to do it. Um, I think that for whatever reason they chose not to because it, it was a pretty decent spread between one and two. And then Bob Ramey <clears throat> approached and said, "I, we understand you guys have a script for Creepshow 2. I'd re be really interested. Um, let's take a look at it and talk about it. And that's, so it wound up going with New World. Okay. And so when you guys started talking to New World, um, how how receptive were they to the script? Um, were they just letting you guys do whatever you wanted to do? Or did they have certain demands once they read the script? Or Nope. They said, go make the movie. This is how much money you got. <laughs> it was very, very, it was a fluid situation. To 
my understanding of the budget too is that it was like just below four million so it was like 3.9999 that was the budget that you were given for for creep show two it was 4.1 oh really okay <laughs> that, that's somebody uh, lied to you it wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't a 9.99 deal it was it was 4.1 i think they said to us we're willing to go up to four million uh when we did the budget it's where it came out and i think they're going like you know and I don't think we were trying to game them for a hundred thousand dollars. It was just yeah. like that's that's what it was going to cost to do it right. And uh, um, and listen, that was still a tight budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and that does did that mean like at that point you you get the budget figure? Does that mean is that when the decision was made to to trim it down to three stories, or were you already at that point of just doing three stories instead of five? Um, we had already made the decision that we we're not going to get the budget we wanted. We knew it would be better to be in three stories. We had a theory, which is that if you have an odd number of stories, if they like more than half the movie, they like the movie. So the first one was five stories. If they like three stories, they like the movie. Right. So three, if they like two stories, they like the movie. Um, and we did the same thing with Tales from Dark Side, the movie. Also, we had an odd number of stories. So you'd already made the decision to get rid of, of one of the stories. Was was it because, I'm trying to remember the name. There were of never the four stories. We I think we developed... I think we wound up developing five or six stories with the notion that we we're going to pare it down when we saw how they turned out. Okay. No, that was on dark side. I'm sorry. No, but we developed five stories. We pared it down to three. But I know like cat cat from hell was supposed to be in. And that's the dark side. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so by the time it got to new world, that decision was already made. Yeah. That's not what we submitted to him. Okay. And I always loved Cat from Hell, but I also knew it's like, you don't really want to work with cats. So we decided to do it in another movie. And then we worked with cats and it was like, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as monkeys, but still bad. As bad yeah. as monkeys. <laughs> you know, it's too bad it wasn't in the digital age because there's actually in the dailies, the, sh- the shot of the cat walking by Bill Hickey's body, mm-hmm. you know, and then we went to, you know, animatronics and stuff like that but to get that damn cat to walk by the body was just like brutal and um (laughs) so finally the the cat wrangler like got so upset in the dailies you see his foot coming into frame with the cat on the end of his foot tossed towards the body and then the cat got so freaked out like scurried past the body and go we got it (laughs) <laughs> wow. digital, we could have that as an outtake yeah yeah you know? yeah, yeah. You're absolutely not gonna go look for that that piece of whatever um so. <laughs> um so um how much were you when when you go into production for creep show 2 did you uh travel with with the production did you go out to arizona and did you go with along with it i went a few times I got more involved in post-production than I was involved in the production because we were still finishing up a two season order for dark side. And sure. I was, and you know, we were shooting on both coasts, you know, the way dark side was set up, we shot like, you know, a third of it in LA and the rest of it in New York. Um, and so I was going back and forth between two coasts during production while we're developing. I mean, it was burning me out. So I was involved in, the business aspects of the movie, I went to Prescott, which I found out is Prescott as in a biscuit, not Prescott, which mm-hmm. 
the person who picked me up and I said, what's Prescott like? Who's very offended. I said, okay, <laughs> next time you come to New York, we'll go to Houston Street. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, was, you know, I was there and then, in, in, and then in post, we did the post in England and uh, we were running into some problems. We had a delivery date, we had a release schedule, we had to make it on time. And so I became the, uh, the hammer to go over there to get it done. And we got it done. And not in a bad way. I'm just saying we that it needed support. And mm -hmm. at that point, we had finished, we had completed production on Tales from the Dark Side. So it really freed me up. So I was there as much as I could be, but it was it was definitely limited. Okay. So how aware were you of the difficulties of the production for Creepshow 2? Where was I? Well, no, no. I, do how how aware were you of some of the difficulties they had, like you know, one of the actors getting hypothermia, like, you know, oh, I was aware of everything. I got reports every day. I was speaking to him every day. It's, I mean, whether I was there or not, yeah, you know, I still have the responsibility of overseeing it. Mm -hmm. um, I was aware of the hypothermia. I was aware about the blob, not blobbing very well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and I actually, I, I did, I, I guess I, I was there for the bad blob. Um, and I left and then she got hypothermia the next day. It was kind of like, oh, um, which is kind of freaky. Um, yeah, yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I don't know. You're in the mountains, and it's it's a spring-fed lake. It's not going to be warm. Nope. So yeah, I think just the the illusion of it being in Arizona, I think maybe thought, oh, you're not going to get hypothermia in Arizona in a lake, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, you think you're like in the desert? Not really. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you had worked with Michael Gornick, who directed Creepshow 2 already on Tales from the Dark Side. So was he already, always your like first choice to direct it? Well, Mike was part of Laurel Entertainment. Right. So, I mean, he was, he was, um, he was George's DP mm -hmm. and sort of came up with George. Um, and, you know, Michael was still living in Pittsburgh, so he wasn't around the offices in New York very often. Um, but we had a pretty good relationship. We worked together on a lot of stuff. Um, and, you know, this was his opportunity to direct something. And, you know, obviously I was real supportive. And Michael's a really talented guy. Yeah. Uh, and a really good, really good man. Really is. Um, if Michael tells you something, it's going to be that way. It's like, yeah. he's not a New Yorker. He's not working the angel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I listened to his kind of commentary that he does for the movie. And he seems like a very straight up, guy he seems yeah. like a very sort of honest and and forthright kind of guy no i mean um, i really enjoyed work and eventually he actually i think it was our follow-up series tales from the dark side he actually produced it for one or two years which okay. actually brought him to new york for a nice stretch of time which was really good because i really like being around michael michael's really smart and uh technically i could ask him a question and get an answer knowing there was an agenda behind it so when you go over to do um, um, the, the post in England, uh, again, I, I, just because, of course, we cover New World Pictures um, and talk about all the movies. So I'm just wondering, did they have any input in terms of the edit at all? Or were they just, again, just like... They were great. It, just get they, it? they just said, do the movie. This is the price. This is how our numbers work. Just, you know, we know you guys can deliver it. You know, we had, you know, we had a pretty decent track record, you know, in the genre. And, you know... I think part of that is just Bob Remy. I mean, I think he's just, you know, he treats people like adults, which may not be the best thing to do in our business. But, you know, when someone treats you like an adult, you try to be respectful and right. and, and show appreciation for it. 
Yeah. Not everyone, but most people. And, uh, <laughs> and so he really just trusted us. You know, I mean, we sent daily. I mean, there really was almost no comments at all. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we got a list of notes on the cut. You kind of expect that, but there wasn't anything that was problematic. It wasn't anything like, oh, oh my God, we really got to handle this. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe Michael felt a little bit differently. I don't think so, because he never mentioned it to me. Um, our thing was really, we had some effects in that movie that were really kind of complicated for its time. Mm -hmm. Now it's kind of like almost press the button. You can get it done. But the transition between, you know, animation, live action was a little bit more difficult to do back then and right. much more labor intensive. And we had a very short window to finish post-production and you can't do it until you finish the stories. Otherwise you're going to have some problems. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So did you have to edit all the individual stories before you could then animate or were you trying to sync the, well, we, the... We, could, we could start doing it, getting, getting close to it, but you know what it, it's, um, it was the last bit of business in the post-production was really integrating those, those, those shots into mm -hmm. the film. Okay. And that was, that was going up till, you know, while we're mixing, I mean, yeah. we're mixing the same time we're finishing that up. And there's something cool about being in a studio mixing and you got a, got a hole in it and you call Rick Wakeman to come in and he sits down at the organ and he jams to the, he jams to the uh, movie and you record it and go, okay, we're done. <laughs> wow that's was that so how quickly cool. you put he put together the score was it really that quick oh no he, but i'm just saying well, we had a couple of places where he needed some additional mm. music oh i see and I rick see. just showed up sat down at the organ they played the film for him and this is like while we're making so they he did it they recorded it it fit it was great i mean and i'm going like i saw you when i was younger now. yes i didn't say when i was younger <laughs> I saw you <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing awesome yeah it's such a cool score uh so cool to have rick wakeman work on that that's yeah. so great um that was one of the things i always loved about the creep show creep show 2 admittedly creep show 2 we have our ranking you know our top new world movies creep show 2 is my number one and has been my number one since we started the podcast and i it's unshakable for me it All just right. it hit me at such a great point in time because I was you know a person who at the time was into the kind of creepy and scary and right, right. you know it felt like something that I shouldn't be watching that I was like getting away with something by seeing uh -huh. it you know like it was kind of gross and kind of creepy so you can relate to Billy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah totally yeah yeah so yeah no a, I mean it's you know it's they're fun movies I mean it was mm -hmm. you know it, it really came out of Steve and George being huge fans of EC Comics and wanted to do something that, I mean, what happened is they worked on the stand and they realized that at that point in their careers, neither of them had the clout to be able to get something that massively done. Mm -hmm. um, so they decided to work, to find something else to work on as sort of like a template to show the nature of the relationship. And Creepshow is what came out of it, which is both being huge fans of EC Comics. Were, were you intending to make a third after the second one? Um, no, I don't, I don't recall us. I think what happened is we decided to focus on Tales from the Dark Side, the movie is the next anthology. Mm -hmm. I think someone else made Creepshow 3, uh, and, uh, yeah. that was not for me. <laughs> well, it, 
I don't think it was for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, I mean, it is what it is, but you know, look, it's, you know, George is also George. And you know, the thing that I love about the TV show is that, I mean, I met, I guess I met Greg um, during Day of the Dead a little bit, because I think he came in to loop some things, you know, for his performance. But him and Howard worked, I think the first time they worked together may have been on Creepshow 2. And this, and, and, and Greg was such, he was a child of George's in so yeah. many ways. And if you watch his career and how he's built it, you know, bit by bit, learning to become a complete filmmaker, that him doing Creepshow, you know, TV, it really captured the spirit of the movies. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know that anyone could have done it as well as he did. I, I yeah. mean, I think he's done an amazing job. And um, I mean, he's, he's really turned into, you know, a wonderful filmmaker. He's a delight to work, work with. Um, so, I mean, I think the success of, of the TV show is basically that he captured the essence of, of, of what George wanted, as opposed to, I saw a little bit of the Day of Dead series, and it's like they promote George's name, and it's like, oh, and this has not, almost nothing to do with George. Yeah, right? no. It doesn't, it textually, atmospherically, thematically, it just doesn't feel like George. And, no. you know, George would be proud of, of the Creepshow TV series. He, he, yeah. As Steve is, Steve, Steve likes it quite a bit as well. So it, it's sort of, you know, in a certain sense, that's the best compliment Greg can get is Steve saying he loved it. And I know that George would probably tell him this. George would be proud of him and the work he's done. And you've been working on the TV show as well, right? I worked on a couple seasons. Okay. Um, so I think it's moving to uh, Vancouver and uh, um, for a variety of reasons. And I think that's where the, I, I think they're probably getting up to production pretty, pretty soon. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and so when you were working for Tales from the Dark Side, were you already well into that while you were still finishing up Creepshow 2 or, cause it's, or I guess it's a few, a couple years later, but it seems like it's pretty soon right after Creepshow 2 that you are doing Tales well, from the Dark Side. Well, it, no, it was the same time. There was some, okay. okay. Fact, we're in season three and four of Tales from the Dark Side when we did Creepshow 2. Right, um, right. You know, we did the movie a number of years after that. Right. That's, I'm sorry. I meant that I was meaning the movie, okay. but. And then pretty soon, maybe even before we did the, that movie, we were into, uh, um, what is the name of the, of the series we did after that? Monsters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Monsters, basically what we did is we, uh, I did a reel based out of all the stuff we shot on Creep Show and on Tales from the Dark Side. So I basically made a monster reel. And I just did a thing about like, you know, from the house of Tales from Dark Side, we're going to do monsters. Um, you know, with the one criteria that we weren't going to try not to do traditional monsters, that they're going to be unique for the most part. Like, yeah, we'd have a vampire story here and we'd have a zombie story, but it was like, it'd be like one a season spread out. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but basically it was just following the model of Tales from the Dark Side in a certain sense. And um, with a little bit different, it, it was obviously a little bit, I wouldn't say serious because there's always a sense of tongue-in-cheek aspect mm -hmm. to it. Um, but Dark Side really, you know, it, it, it was tongue-in-cheek, took on the world of the yuppies is really, you know, it had a social thing going yeah. on, with, mm -hmm. which also is very George. I mean, George put that in everything he did. 
Yeah. You know, he's yeah. making social commentary and sneaking it by people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how long was he still attached to Pet Cemetery before that got made? Or was he already off that? Um, he was already off it. Um, when he bowed out of that, I'm not quite sure. I okay. mean, that, like it didn't take as long as the stand to get made, but I think it took like eight, nine years for us to get Pet Cemetery made. Um, and we had been to every studio multiple times. I mean, it was like, oh, they have a change of administration. Let's see if they like Pet Cemetery. Right. <laughs> um, and Paramount went for it on the third go round uh, when the person who was running the studio said, this is the most disgusting fucked up movie. I do not want to be a part of it. When she left, I immediately went in because I knew we had a supporter in Lindsay Duran. I said, Lindsay, with the new administration, what do I think about Pet Center? He goes, let me take a whack at it. Yeah. And the guy's comment was like, if you really like it that much, I mean, you know, let's do it. But I don't understand why they just don't build a fence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a valid point. I believe in it, I'm okay. And you know what? That takes an executive that really has a bigger, mm -hmm. you know, way of looking at things and, and trusts his people. Yeah. And Lindsay Duran is someone truly to be trusted. She was a very talented executive, still is a talented producer. And so I was watching Creep Show 2 and watching the Blu-ray and some of the special features. And I, I, I did not realize this, but... Um, Apparently, Tom Savini was originally even supposed to direct Creepshow 2 because he had had a deal at New World and he kept kind of pushing it off. And of course, he, he eventually plays the creep. Right. Um, at least not in, in, in performance only, not in voice. But um, was, was he ever part of the discussion or were you around for the discussion uh, for him to direct Creepshow 2? Well, I was around discussions with New, New World. So, and Tom was not part of the discussion. Okay. So that was not not at that I, know, time. I know that george and richard were trying to develop something for tom to direct and when i came in there there was there was actually a wonderful there was a wonderful um tales from the dark side that he did monster in the closet which he created the creature it's actually of the first season it may be the best episode that we had um and so we then got the writer for that who did that to develop something for Tom and we tried to develop a feature and it just never got off the ground. But mm. I mean, we, we tried to do some, but Creepshow was not, as far as I know, Creepshow, uh, Tom was not in the conversation about potential direction. I, you know, for me, it was always, Michael was the guy that was gonna be directing it. So, so I don't know if that decision happened before I got there or when it got there, but sure, whatever. Just, sure. Um, so um, did you guys ever talk to New World about any of the other projects you were working on? Or once you guys did Creepshow 2, you, you moved on? We're producers. We're like all around sluts. I mean, we'll sell anyone <laughs> money. <laughs> you got the money. We got the project. We're good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it, within certain bounds. And, and, you know, we like working with Bob quite a bit. Yeah. But, but he didn't, at that point, they were having some trouble financially. So they probably weren't the best. He's pretty soon after that, they yeah. bring in some other financing. Stuff like yeah. That. Yeah. And eventually, I think they all, I'm not sure when Feldheimer and his gang came in, but it, it wasn't that far removed from that. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was um, a company out of Canada, and then John was the guy spearheading it, and they basically brought the company up. Right, right. Um, and so at this point, you've got, you go on and you have a, a, a very long standing career of, of, of making stuff with, with Stephen King. 
um i mean just some incredible stuff like you get golden years and the stand and langoliers which i remember watching and uh, i'd read the book i was like so excited when that right. when that came up so i mean how t- tell us about that like what a what an incredible run um working with steven well, hopefully it's not over. So um, yes, I know you got something I've, still. Hopefully that will be made before the next ten years. <laughs> and I've worked with Joe, which has been sort of a delight because I knew Joe when he was in high school. Um, oh, wow! Wow! And evidently, according to Joe, he was my assistant on the stand, which I kind of remembered, but not really. Like he goes, "Yeah, I probably really sucked." I go, "Joe, if you're my assistant, what'd you do? Give me coffee?" He's like, <laughs> I, "I'm sort of self-sufficient." He's like, "I don't even know what my assistant does half the time." Um, you know, on productions because it's like. I, I sort of like getting into the weeds. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I worked with him, which was great. Um, he's so, so talented. And, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, listen, it, Steve in many ways was exceedingly patient with me and taught me a lot. So I think the first script I worked on with him might've been golden years. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. if that's the first script that he wrote that, I was involved in the development of it. And so the first two hours, you know, I, I give him my notes. <clears throat> and with Steve, it's like, you don't give notes in depth. You sort of do the areas so you can talk about it. And so there's like maybe seven or eight things on, on the piece of paper. And, and uh, he calls me up and said, well, Mitchell, I, I, I had a chance to read your notes and uh, I'm okay with changing the guy's name. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why these other notes don't work for me and what I was going for. And he spent, I mean, I must've been on the phone with him for like two, three hours in which he very patiently taught me about what he tries to create in terms of his rhythms and, and, and how he sets things up and whatever. And it it was like, it was, I mean, he's a great teacher. I mean, if you listen to his books on writing and you really pay attention to it, this is a man that knows writing really well. So him spending that time just was amazing. And then it got to the point when we did the stand, originally the stand was, um, the decision on the stand to go eight hours was dependent on the delivery of the first six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, Steve wanted, I think, 10 or 12 hours. We knew that would not happen. So we talked about like, it's more like, let's go for, I'm sorry, let's go for eight hours. You know, they said, we'll make a decision on that, whether we, we want to condense down and, and cap it, or you can have eight hours. And we send the script and it's typical Steve fashion is like, he goes, how many pages? I tell him how many pages he goes, okay, I'll have it to you in 60 days. I go, 60 days. Like really? He goes, yeah. Cause I do X number of pages a day. And he calls me up about three or four weeks in and goes, Mitchell, it's going to take me 61 my computer broke and I had a guy working on all day. So I'm going to be a day late. I go, I'm good. I mean, I'm usually <laughs> three months late going like, yeah. really, really, I'm close. I'm close. Wow. Day 61, man, the script lands on my desk. It was like amazing. So I read it. It was great. I sent it immediately to, to, uh, to ABC and ABC was waiting for it. And they got back to us like two days later and say, you have your eight hours. Let's start planning production. It was that good. Wow. But when I gave Steve my notes, actually, so there was there was a round of, of notes before it went to ABC. I, I I typed them out for him. 
I flew up to uh, to Bangor. We had lunch someplace, and he goes to me. So basically, you're telling me to cut out this number of pages and whatever. And it was like it was dead on. And he goes, "Okay, so like these are the only two notes that I have a problem with." And I go, "That's amazing <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it's like yeah. pages and notes." And he goes, "And you know what would be really better for me is like just take your notes." And just blue pencil like a like a, a story editor for a book, just sent it to me. And so, and I had it ready. He, he's I I kind of knew he liked that form. So I, mm -hmm. I when I made my notes, I sort of made it like that. I said, well, actually, I have it, and here it is. And he turned it around like in under a week. Um, wow! Wow! It was like it just was an amazing process. So, from a project that took like eleven years to get set up, um, it just I mean, within a year of getting the go-ahead to develop it, we were on the air. I mean, it was it was just extraordinary. It was like wow. And at some point, I, I'm sure I took a breath, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're flying all over the place. I think we shot in 12 different states. Amazing, amazing. That seemed like a book that people just felt like you couldn't adapt. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and and yet you did. You know, I mean. Well, and, law, law Inform gave it the possibility. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, then yeah. you, the, you, you also tackle a big uh, a book that people think is unadaptable. You guys did Dune, uh, which won Emmys, and the Emmy Award-winning series of Dune as well. So, which, you know, at that well, point, it had only been tackled in a, one movie, but... Well, it, it's interesting. So the, the reason why I was really drawn to Dune was twofold. Number one is... I loved the book. Mm -hmm. I didn't know enough about writing to realize how badly written it is, but it's a great story. <laughs> right. right. You read a book four or five times, you see every zit and that baby's pockmarked. <laughs> but the story itself is fantastic. Yeah. It, was a first, it was a first novel. I mean, yeah. it's literally sure. it's his first novel. Sure. And, you know, it just, to me, it was an amazing story. And I was so disappointed with the movie. I thought it's maybe because of the recreational things I was doing before I went to the movie that I passed out. Right. <laughs> I tried watching it years later and fell asleep again. It's just, it's, 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 it's sort of weird. It's, you have a director who's known for taking the normal and scratching beneath the surface to all the abnormal weirdness underneath it. Mm -hmm. And he works in a very small world you know and and then you give them a piece where you take the abnormal and you make them a sizer which brings it into normalcy and it's epic in scope it's the it's the exact reverse of really what he is best at doing right and the water imagery in the movie for me was about seemed about deprivation i mean the imagery was beautiful the way he used water but in the book, water is about rebirth. So it's kind of like everything seemed to be, you know, mm. upside down. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, well, let me check the rights because in that era, <clears throat> people kept TV rights back. They had a little bit of clout after basically science fiction writers had been raped for like, you know, selling stories for 200 bucks for an anthology book. And, you know, the guy got four thousand dollars and you go yeah. really and they turn into like major motion pictures so you know with star wars and all that stuff there was a little bit of a kickback and these so they were trying to keep some rights back so i knew the agent 
And I called her up and I said, look, by any chance, are the TV rights for Dune available? She goes, yeah, they are. I go, great, because I want them. <laughs> and it was also like, if you, if you adapt something and you do a crappy job, especially if it's sort of an iconic book, people get kind of upset, but they say, okay, you just didn't do it well. If you take an iconic book that was really not successfully adapted and you screw it up again, people then get violently pissed off at you. So for me, that's kind of exciting. It's like, wow, that's like, that's like hanging out you know, over the ledge and hoping that you don't lose your grip. And so <laughs> it, was, it sort of keeps you on your toes to, mm -hmm. to really focus and do your best work. So I just love the process. It was with John Harrison, another one of Romero's kids. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and John and I have worked together on a lot and he wrote and directed it and did a fantastic job. And you can even see in the current Dune, a lot of the stuff is similar. Richard was involved in the current Dune. And, um, but you know, a lot of, there's certain, elements of the design and there's certain elements of of some of the wardrobe that seem to be very similar to what we did which is okay there's no reason not to they they sort of cop that but you know they sort of went they used this stuff that really worked well mm -hmm. and frankly i wanted it to be great and i know a lot of people love it i just thought it was not as good as it could have been hmm. i thought you know you know it's it's it just, I mean, if, if we had their catering budget to add to a movie or even to have us a whole movie, we would have really knocked it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 yeah, I kind of felt so, sort of similarly because it is sort of like, you know, TV, you got to do it on TV and you got, as you said, being able to adapt something like this, it helps to have a longer, time. you know, longer time. And so when they said, okay, we're going to do it again as a movie, it just felt like, again, an impossible task. And, and it wasn't, at least when we watched it, it wasn't 100% that they were going to make another one. But it felt like as we were getting towards the end, I was like, well, okay, this is part one, right? Because there's just no yeah, way. They, they didn't go very far into the story. No, yeah. no. So I was you like, know? okay, we're not going to, we're going to get another one because there's no way they're going to wrap this up, you know? Yeah, they went further than we went in night one. But also it's like, there were just characters that were underdeveloped. I mean, you know, Zendaya, who I think is beautiful and I like her as an actress, she was posing. saying that's an important yeah. role. They didn't yeah. give her anything to do. Aquaman did Aquaman. I mean, you know, and mm -hmm. I love him in Aquaman, but he was Aquaman again. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought Timothy Chalamet was great. I mean, there's some really great, Oliver Hudson can do the phone book and I'm gonna be in awe of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and visually it was stunning. Absolutely stunning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it just, I thought it was like cold and kind of boring for me. It's like, and it's a great story. And I just didn't get emotionally involved. And when I heard that, you know, uh, Frank, uh, the director was directing, I got real excited because I want it to be great. You know, it's like, I didn't want it to be okay. And it's okay. Yeah. It's not bad. It's certainly yeah. watchable, but it's like, I want it. It was this point because I wanted it to be great. I wanted it to be much better than ours is really what I wanted. Right, mm. right, right. right. Mm. And I, I'm not comparing them. I'm not saying ours is better than theirs, but I'm just saying it didn't elevate beyond ours. Right. Sure, sure. Yeah. I had about $240 million more money to do it. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so I, I would be remiss if I didn't, just taking two steps back and I, I, if I didn't, if I didn't mention, you know, you you have Pet Cemetery. you worked on The Stand, Langoliers, um, all of these were were epic 
books as well as movies. And then you made Thinner. Now I had read Thinner and I loved it. And when I saw that that was coming out as a movie, I was so excited, but also it was a little bit of like, wow, they're making a movie out of that one, huh? That's amazing. <laughs> uh, it just didn't feel like it. it I, I, I saw the movie in the theaters. I thought it was great. Like uh, uh, Robert John Burke, I loved because he had been in a bunch of How Hartley movies before right. that. Mm -hmm. So I'd been really following him at yep. the time. Um, how did that, it just seemed like that wasn't, of all the Stephen King books, that didn't seem like the natural jump to a movie, but maybe well, I'm not, looking at it from the wrong wrong eyes. And, and I, mean, I he, how he did that come about? Originally, he didn't write it under the King name. He, it yeah. was a Bachman book. Bachman. And the Bachman books tonally were very different. Mm -hmm. And Steve was mm -hmm. trying to do something else, including see whether or not it could be successful without the King name, which is something really kind of cool. That that's yeah. that's the thing that makes Steve so special. Is like, you know, he he'll take those risks, and he 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 just wants to see what's real and what's not. Um, and I love the book, and I just thought that as a thriller, it was a great thriller. Mm -hmm. I think the movie got caught up in a little bit of it's a Stephen King movie but it's, it needs a little bit more horror, but it's really a thriller. And I mm -hmm. think it actually lost its way a little bit. Um, it's one of the best scripts I've ever developed. Maybe the best script I've ever developed. It's not the best movie I've ever done. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, for me, it was disappointing, but my expectations were so high. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, sh I'm, I mean, I'm not disappointed. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't regret making the movie, I just think that a couple things worked against it. And I think that it didn't achieve what it could have been because it could have been spectacular. And the script was spectacular. I mm. still, I, I, I would still say, I think it's a hidden gem. I, I, I don't think it gets the, the, the uh, attention that it deserves. I, I always thought it was great. I just, at the time <laughs> thought like, of all the adaptions that like that one seemed to come out of nowhere in my you know <laughs> all right early 20s point of view and uh so anyway i also thought um michael uh the guy used to be the principal in room 222 <laughs> the guy that played the gypsy oh yeah right right phenomenal i mean he was so so good i mean so I, good i would just like sit and watch him that go wow he's amazing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just such good actor who's so good for that role. I mean, there's some stuff in that that really is wonderful. I don't, I don't mean to belittle it. I'm just saying it like, it's it just in my gut. It should have been better. And if it was better, it would have been a huge hit. It would have. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it really captured what Steve captured in the book, which the book is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's really one of my favorite yeah. stories because it's really about the. I mean, you want to talk about something that's relevant today? It's about accepting responsibility for your actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what's so Yeah. So your latest um, uh, project that you're working with uh, with Stephen is that the Gingerbread Girl? Is that the one that yep. you're trying? Okay. Yeah. So what? I mean, is there anything you can tell us about that project? And well, it's still in development. We're working. On, we're working on the script still. Um, we've sort of we're retooling it a bit. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's the the story in and of itself is not a complete film story you know it's like the first act so it's really what do you do after that and and we've been wrestling with that a little bit and you know i thought we were in pretty good shape um and then it's like one of those things if everyone in the bar tells you you shouldn't drive a car you probably shouldn't i think yeah. what we told is that the movie wasn't ready to be made yet hmm. uh, so we're we're going back into and doing some redevelopment okay okay 
Well, we're keeping our fingers crossed on that. Um, yeah, definitely. Great story, it really is. It's yeah. fun. Um, and it is as you still have the same director attached, or are you going completely? We're going, no, we're going in a completely different direction. Okay. I mean, oh wow, Craig's my partner in it, and he'll okay. be in the movie. But um, I think we're probably going to be going for a female director. Okay. Okay. Great. But really, we're you know we're shifting much more to a female point of view. I think mm -hmm. that's really where it lives and dies. And okay, sure. Nice. Yeah, because I do love um, uh, Dark Angel, aka I Come in Peace. So I was pretty excited. Uh, I think that's another hidden gem of the '90s there as well. So uh, that's an exciting project. So I, I'm wishing you the best of luck on that. And uh, uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. This yes. this was incredible. Thank you so much. Um, did you guys have any other, any other questions? Yeah, I was just going to say, outside of that, any any other projects that you have that you want to talk about that are on the horizon? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm developing a number of things. And, you know, it's just, uh, I'm still in the development stage. And then I get called to produce stuff for other people. So there's something that I'm talking about right now that I may do or may not do. Um, that, that could be kind of a cool project. It's a series. Um, and we'll see. It's, it depends on whether my, my stuff gets funded or I get an offer on something I want to do. I'm at the point in my life where it's like, you know, I'll do what I want to do. I mean, I did Creepshow TV because it was Greg. Yeah. And mm -hmm. there was the connection there. Um, but I really wasn't looking to do a low budget television series. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like sure. I, didn't, I didn't need the, the heartache. But, yeah. well, but you picked a good one. <laughs> And I had a blast doing with Greg. I mean, it actually yeah. was absolutely totally worth doing. It's like, that's the reason why I did it. But the point is, is someone else said to me, oh, I have this genre piece and you're known for doing genre stuff and we have $5. Do you want to do it? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I wish a lot of luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Want, want me to call someone for you and make an introduction if it's good, credible? I'll do that. But I just, you know, I just, I'd rather be here. You know, of course, yeah. You, you've, got new, you've got new menu items you have to test and wines <laughs> you right. have to taste. I mean, these right. priorities. It, it's sort of, you know, the criteria is what will get my ass off this island. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you did come back to, to work on Creep Show because the show is great. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought as a concept, and I, of course, always, I also watched Tales from the Dark Side of the movie growing mm -hmm. up and mm -hmm. the Creep Show movies. Mm -hmm. I've always loved horror anthologies, and I was always a little like bummed that there wasn't another Creep Show after the second one because I was like, this is such a great idea. Why aren't we making these all the time? So when the. Was. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I could not watch it. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> right. Right. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. Oh my god! We don't talk about that. No, one. no, we don't talk about that one. That one is not. I'm not. It's not even existing in my head. But yeah. I'm just saying. I wish that there had been. You know. And so when the show came back, I was like, okay, this is great because yeah. we get we get this concept back. We get what you know Romero was trying to do initially, and and of course with Nicotero being there you know you're gonna have great effects and he's such a good director and he's done such a great job on walking dead as well so you know it, it, it's 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 he's, he's become a good writer he's yeah. great in the cutting room i mean he's actually he pulled one episode that i thought was really in trouble and they figured a way to pull it out i mean he's a really really talented filmmaker i mean and he's a delight to work with and he's 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 a responsible filmmaker he really is so and he's a good guy. I mean, it's like we've known each other for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's so cool. Um, so thank you again. Thank you yeah, again for, thank for you. doing this. Thank you. I, it, this means the world to us. We really appreciate it. Aloha. Aloha. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Aloha. 
And that was our talk with Mitchell Gallen. Did you guys enjoy that or what? Oh my God, I loved it. So great. What a great guy. Um, have you guys seen Thinner? <laughs> we have. It's an awesome It's movie. been a long time. It's I been love a long that movie. <laughs> but I remember it. So you know it was good. It was impactful if mm-hmm. I remember it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go watch it right now. Yeah, we're going to watch it right now. You should watch it right now. Before you do, rate and review us. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Do the things that we need you to do to help us make this show blossom. Help us help you. We're making the show blossom? Yeah. Wow, they're bringing it back. Finally. (laughs) We're turning this show into... This entire podcast has just been us trying to uh, reboot Blossom. Whoa! (laughs) Instead of her recording on a... (laughs) Instead of her recording on a videotape, she does a podcast now. That would be that would be God, awesome. That, you know do. what? Audio copyright on that because that is our idea. God, that's what's gonna we're gonna write that. We need to talk to Mitchell. We gotta we get him on. Talk to Mitchell. We, we gotta need to get, get it going because yep. that's gonna help us fund Steaman. Oh, that's that's what has to happen. <laughs> the profits. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this interview. We'll see you next time on the New World Pictures podcast. Bye, everybody.